Hey, welcome to Camriel Community Church. We are so glad. Thank you. So glad you are here. Now, if you remember, we're going to be jumping into our Daniel series in about two weeks' time. Today, because of the new year and New Year's resolutions, all that, we're going to do a special message in that realm. And I really want to ask the question, what motivates you? Like, what motivates you? It's a time of year where we find motivation. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes we find it for about two weeks. Uh, but, you know, it's a time of year where we find our motivation. And I want to ask the question, have you ever th- sat down and thought to yourself, what motivates me? What is my motivation? Uh, if you're watching us online, I have a little bit of a cold. I'm sorry, but I will get through it. I have my tea with me. Uh, and uh, what motivates you? Some people are motivated because they want to prove somebody wrong. You thought maybe you've been motivated that way. I want to prove them wrong, or I want to flip the script on life. I was brought up in this setting, and according to the statistics, I should be this way. I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to flip the script on that. Maybe that's what motivates you. Uh, sometimes people are motivated because of the approval of somebody. Really want my mom to approve of me. Really want my dad to approve of me. Or whoever that entity is, I want to be approved by someone. Some people are motivated because they want to make a difference. Uh, how can I make a difference in this world? And, I, and I'm motivated to make that difference in this world. Some people just want to be somebody. They want to be famous. They want to have money. Uh, they want to uh, climb up the corporate ladder. They want to have power. And they're motivated by that. Sometimes just family. Really, pastor, all I really want to do is be able to provide for my family and make sure that they're healthy. And all the wealth that I bring in is just, to, just for them. I just want it for them. And so that's what motivates me. Have you ever sat down and considered what motivates you? What is the thing inside, deep inside, that motivates you? We're all motivated by something. Sometimes that's a very positive motivator and getting us to move forward in life. And sometimes that motivator can actually be negative. Uh, sometimes those ideas of trying to prove somebody wrong or, or th- those type of things can be negative. Hopefully, as we're in the season of thinking of new motivations for this new year, hopefully you're uh, overwhelmed with positive motivations on how to move forward in this life. And hopefully, you'll allow God to let me influence you spiritually and have those motivations spiritually in your life as well. So we're going to jump into that today. But I wonder if you have ever considered that sometimes pastors have motivations too. Yeah, I'm motivated too. I ask the same question to myself. What motivates me? How, how am I motivated to do what I do? Better yet, what should motivate me? And so this morning, we're gonna kind of do like a little bit of a down-home Bible study approach. Got a lot of passages that we'll put on the screen. I won't open up my Bible because there's so many of them. I'll just read off the screen. You might wanna do the same thing. It's okay for this week. And, uh, and I'm just gonna kind of share with you what motivates me along the way. Now, now, understand that not all of it might uh, apply to you exactly or, or one-to-one in every situation, but hopefully it'll be encouraging to you along the way as well. We'll look at three things that motivate your pastor. Three biblical charges that should motivate anyone trying to lead spiritually. Three concepts that stir in the heart of a pastor. And for the overarching question today, I'll be on the screen, it says this, what is my motivation in 2020? So uh, this, I'm going like, to give you a picture in my own heart. What is my motivation in 2020? And hopefully along the way, you'll find ways to connect and feel motivated yourself. Number one, we're going to look at the example of Jesus. The example of Jesus. What motivates me in 2020? Number one, the example of Jesus. I want to turn to a passage in John chapter 10. Uh, we'll look at about eight verses or so. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I'm going to read off the screens, and let's see the example of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
want you to take notice of that idea. We're going to see that idea several times. He who is hired, a hired hand is not a shepherd and does not lay, and does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know my Father, I, there it is again, lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that would be Gentiles coming into the fold, into the Jewish fold as well. I must bring them in also, that's us, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Beautiful picture of both Jew and Gentile and one flock, as he is one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I, there it is again, I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we ask the question, what motivation do I have in 2020? The first is the example of Jesus, and the example of Jesus is the great shepherd. Now, this is kind of farming terminology, and in the first century, be very much uh, their everyday life. For us, we have to look actually think about it because we, I don't know anybody in here is a farmer or has animals or has a farm, but he's using terminology, a shepherd has sheep. And a shepherd would often take their sheep out, their flock of sheep, take them out to graze in the fields because they need to eat, take them out to a watering hole because they need a drink, and then protect them from predators that are out there. You might remember that David, the King David of the Old Testament was a shepherd boy. Remember that? actually became very proficient with a, a rock and a sling that he would use to fend off whether it be tigers or bears or lions or wolves because he was there to protect his sheep. That's what a shepherd does. Shepherd takes a sheep, makes sure they eat, makes sure they're safe, makes sure they get to where they need to get to, and protects them from wolves. Now, this is very important because sheep are stupid. Now, I looked and looked online uh, uh, yesterday to try to find this one video. You can find several videos on, on YouTube about stupid sheep. But there's one video in particular that I really wanted because I remember 20 years ago, it was like these sheep are, are running in a herd and they jump over a fence. And they're all jumping over this fence. But on the other side of that fence is a big uh, stone wall. And they're all jumping and they're hitting the stone wall. And, and there's like 200 of them and they keep on running and jumping over the fence and hitting the stone wall. And they just pile up on each other as they're, you know. It's like 200 of them. You would think like number 57 would go, you know what, I've seen 55. 55 had hit the stone wall. I think I'm not going to jump. But they don't do that. They just keep on jumping and hitting. It's hilarious. If you guys can find it back there, let me know. But I couldn't, I wasn't able to find it. But it was, it was that, that's the picture of sheep. And that's the picture of who? Us. Us. And yet you have the picture of God, Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. I care for my sheep, even though they're stupid, you know? And so, and I protect them. In fact, I'll lay my life down for them. That's the picture of who Jesus is in this kind of everyday terminology, which he uses all the time to modify spiritual things. I'm the good shepherd. You're the sheep. I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you. That's the picture of who the shepherd is. In fact, we see Matthew 6, 34, we see another idea that comes up as on, on this shepherding idea as well. Put that on the screen. Uh, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a what? Sheep without a shepherd. And so what's the solution to this problem? And he began to what? Teach them 
many things. This is a story early on in Jesus' ministry. He goes into a town, sees there are a lot of people. They don't have a leader. They don't have a spiritual leader. And so he says, the solution to this problem is for me to begin to teach them the word. Teach them so they would have a, shop, a shepherd who guards their minds and their hearts. You know, it's interesting. This idea of being a shepherd is not only used of Jesus Christ himself, it's also transferred and used of pastors and leaders, elders of the church. They're viewed as shepherds as well. Pastors or overseers are used as shepherds as well. So one of my motivations is the example of Jesus. The second one is, one of my motivations is his charge, his exhortation towards us spiritual leaders. What is my motivation in 2020? The example of Jesus, number one. Number two, the charge from Jesus. That Jesus would say, if you're gonna be in a spiritual role and spiritual leadership over a flock, then I have a charge for you. I have some things that are required of you. Now we're gonna go to the end of John's uh, gospel, John chapter 21. This is after, by the way, Jesus Christ has died and been resurrected. Disciples have fleed, because they didn't know where to do, so they, they ran off, and they actually go back and go fishing again. And then after Jesus goes and confronts them, when they're going, hey, you guys are fishing, I, I wanted to make you fishers of men, according to Luke 5, and you're going back to regular fishing, uh, they come off the shore, they catch a big, big batch of fish, Jesus is cooking the fish on the shore, and he has this interaction with Peter, and I want you to see this, he says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What he's talking about is, do you love me more than the fish? You just went back to fishing. I just told you to put the net on the other side of the boat. You caught more fish than ever. Do you love me more than you love the fish? Is what he's saying. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my what? Lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was so grieved because he had said to him third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, what? Feed my sheep. Here is that shepherd sheep terminology again. Except for this time, it's not Jesus being the shepherd. It's him transferring that to his disciples. You're gonna be shepherds as well. Now, there's no coincidence. How many times did, did, did Peter reject Jesus or deny Jesus? Three times. And three times in this passage, he went back to fishing. Jesus comes back three times and says, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, I love you. Please stop asking the question, I love you. Three times for the three times he denied. In fact, reinstating him for all three times he denied Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You ever felt like you needed to be reinstated with God? Do you ever feel like, man, I failed him so miserably. He couldn't reinstate me, could he? Of course he can. And he shows it in Peter. And Peter, you're gonna be one of my disciples that builds my church even though you deny me. I've reinstated you. You're gonna be a shepherd, so to speak, for the flock. And so we begin to see the shepherd talk begin to be applied to others besides Jesus. And in fact, it continues. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. We'll see this one too. Pay careful attention to yourselves and, to all, the, and all in the what? flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is the same word that we see interchanged with elders and overseers, and bishops and, uh, in the New Testament. Same, same idea there. And care for the church of God. That's your job. As you care for the flock, you're caring for the church of God, which was obtained by his own blood. And 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, here's that same kind of shepherd talk again, will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So there's gonna be these wolves that are gonna come, and the way you need to combat them, combat them is to, to fend off all the weird things they are saying. You're the elders, and you're charged to guard the flock. And we're talking about my own motivations in 2020. What's my motivation as a pastor? Guard the flock. Teach them the things of God so that when somebody, an outsider, comes in and tries to teach them something different, they go, well, no, 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 that doesn't make sense because I know here's what the word of God says. You know what we do around here, if you've been around here for a little while, you know, we take the Bible and we put it up here. And it's a symbolic gesture. I want to place myself underneath the word of God. Now, the interesting thing about that is I do that all the time. We're gonna take the Bible, we're gonna put it up here, we're gonna put ourselves underneath it. We're gonna rank ourselves underneath it. But I can't do that for you. Did you know that? I can do this symbolically and go, this is what we need to do. We need to put the Bible up here and rank ourselves underneath it. But there's only one person who can rank yourself under the word of God. Who's that? That'd be you. That'd be you. Uh, You have to make the willful choice to say, I'm gonna put myself underneath this thing and follow what it says. So I'm gonna submit to it. It's a thing that I submit to. It's, It's my ultimate authority. It's what I bow to. And there'll be times where I understand and sometimes when I don't understand, but I'm gonna bow to it anyway. And it's not a blind faith. It's not a blind, uh, uh, um, uh, it's not a blind faith in something you don't understand, but it's a belief and trust in God. So I'm gonna put myself underneath this thing and follow what it says. One of the things that motivates me as a pastor is God has charged me to Fend off the wolves that are out there and protect the flock. Just like David did with a stone and a slingshot. I'm supposed to do that in a spiritual way. So we're looking at what motivates me as a pastor. And one of the things that, uh, the last one, actually has an applicational thing for you as well. So what motivates me? The example of Jesus, the charge of Jesus. And number three, the responsibility before Jesus. What's my motivation in 2020? The responsibility before Jesus. There's a responsibility in in, in being a spiritual leader before Jesus. In fact, not only for me, but anybody. If you're a a leader of a quad or or a growth group or you teach a class or you're an elder, a deacon, you serve in someone, hey, there is a responsibility before Jesus. Now, I want you to see this in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this. Shepherd the flock of God. There goes that whole shepherding temp- terminology again. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. We'll stop right there. Shepherd the flock of God. Why would you do all these things? Shepherding the flock, not, not doing it under compulsive, but, 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 but willingly. Not doing it for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering those in your charge, but being examples. And why would you do that? You do it because there's gonna be a day where the who? The chief shepherd appears. Now, Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. We saw that in John 10. 
I'm gonna set out these leaders who will be like shepherds of a flock, and one day they will have to give an account to the chief shepherd. I always say, I'm more concerned about that than I'm concerned about. I'm more concerned about his evaluation of me than I'm concerned about your evaluation of me. I'm more concerned about did I do what I was supposed to do before God than I am concerned about whether or not somebody in this room might be happy or unhappy with what I said or what I did. Got to be. I absolutely have to be. Got to be more afraid of Jesus. Got to be more afraid of God than man. When, when God would have me represent him in a certain way, did I fall short of that because I'm scared of what people would think in the room? Or did I do it because that's what his word says? Let's go to verse five in that same, in the same passage. Look at this. Likewise, you who are younger be what? Subject to your elders. Now, this is, my job is to guard the flock. My job is to, to lead in such a way that's not domineering, to lead in such a way that there's an example, and, and to lead in such a way that, because I will give an account for it, your job is to be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So my job is to lead. I will give an account for that. Your job is to follow and you will give an account for that. Be subject. Remember, we're gonna take, my, take myself, I'm gonna put the Bible up here, I'm gonna submit myself underneath that. I'm gonna take the, the God, and I'm gonna put him up there, and I'm gonna submit myself underneath it. I'm gonna take the leaders that God has placed there, and I'm gonna submit myself underneath, subject myself underneath them. And I'm gonna do that in all humility, because it's gonna require humility to do that. That is what my job is to do. It's amazing. Um, the idea of submission or subjection is always active in the scriptures. Uh, what I mean by that is, it, it is you that have to say, I'm gonna put myself underneath. I can't do that for you. Neither does God require me to do that for you. Neither does God do that to you. That's called 